0: thought, but I think you're an amening church, so uh, I've got a little inner Pentecostal in me, and so uh, this feels like a little bit of a Bapticostal church, and so I feel, I feel right at home, but it's good to see all of you. I've been uh, walking through the book of Genesis verse by verse over at Moberly, and uh, I thought I would share a word of encouragement with you tonight from Genesis chapter 11. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to Open it and turn there. Genesis chapter 11 is where we'll be tonight. Something happened on the way to obedience. I'm thinking of the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, book six, The Silver Chair. Chronicles of Narnia, of course, is an allegory of the Christian life, and in the silver chair. The children have been sent by Aslan. Of course, Aslan represents God and the children represent the church. The children have been sent on a a mission to rescue a lost prince. And they're given words from Aslan that they're to repeat so that they'll remember what to do and how to save the prince. But something happened on the road As they were on the way to obedience, they meet a woman who turns out to be a witch. And the children at this point in the story have had several sleepless nights, and they're hungry, and they're afraid. And this witch is very alluring, and and she begins to tell them about a castle. And she says that they have to go to this castle of Harfang because there are warm beds there and there's all kinds of delicious food and that castle catches their imagination and they start thinking about the castle and all the comforts of the castle and before long they forget Aslan and they forget his words and they forget about the lost prince that they were sent to save something happened to these children on a mission And all they can think about now is the warm bed and the delicious food and the comforts of the castle. Something happened on the way to obedience. Now, I've seen this happen in the course of 19 years as a pastor. I've seen this happen in the life of many followers of Christ. God saves them and sanctifies them and commissions them and gives them something to do he puts a calling on their life and it's clear and they start off strong they begin their walk of faith at the start of the starting line of faith with great enthusiasm but then at some point along the path to obedience they get distracted something happens they get discouraged they get tired the distractions of this world call them away, and somewhere along the way, they forget about what God has called them to do, and they get focused on the warm bed and the food and the comforts offered by the castle. In Genesis chapter 11 and verse 27, we're introduced to a man who got distracted on his way to obedience. He's a man who's very easy to pass over in the story because Genesis chapter 11 begins with the story of the Tower of Babel. This is a very well-known story and then you come to chapter 12 and you get to the good stuff. You get the calling and the blessing of Abraham and then for the next 15 or 20 chapters, the story is gonna follow the life of Abraham and uh, it's very easy to miss a couple of verses in the end of chapter 11 that describe the father of father Abraham. A man named Terah. Terah was a man who had a clear call from God. He began to fulfill his calling, but he never finished fulfilling the calling. And so I want us to look together at uh, the story of Terah. I wanna read just a few verses and then really focus in on just two of these verses. You know, it's very well known that God places a call on Abraham's life to go to Canaan. The the often ignored detail is that Terah was part of this calling. Let's look together at God's word. Genesis chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading in verse 27. It says, these are the family records of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during his father Terah's lifetime. Abram and Nahor took wives. Abram's wife was named Sarai, and Nahor's wife was named Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was unable to conceive. She did not have a child. Now, let's look at our focus verses in verses 31 and 32. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. And one of the main features of the Genesis story happens in the next chapter. God's calling to Abraham to leave Ur and go to Canaan and the tendency of... The church is to focus on Abraham and his call. That's certainly the focus of the book of Genesis. But what is an often missed detail in the story is that the calling to go to Canaan also involved Abram's father Terah in some way. Now, scholars uh, are kind of all over the map about this. They basically say that there's one of two options that, uh, we, can, that we can understand here. Option one is that Terah was involved in this calling to go to Canaan by virtue of his relationship to his now-famous son, Abram. In other words, God's calling came to Abram, and because Terah was part of Abram's family, then he was involved in the call. But another option, some scholars say that the calling to go to Canaan actually would have come first to the head of the family, Terah. That the calling to go to Canaan actually began with Terah. But Terah never finished or fulfilled the calling, and therefore the calling was passed down to his son Abraham. And this theory says that basically the only reason we talk about Abraham is because Terah never fulfilled his calling. In other words, we might have sung little songs in VBS about Father Terah and his many sons, but he didn't fulfill the calling. And so this view goes that the, the calling was then passed down to the son, Abram, who then fulfilled the calling, and essentially displaced Terah in the biblical narrative. Now, either way, whether it came to Abram and by virtue of Terah's relationship with Abram, Terah was involved, or if it came first to Terah and then to Abram, either direction, what we know for sure is that this calling to leave Ur behind and go to Canaan involved Terah. Terah had a clear calling to leave behind Ur. To leave behind all that was familiar, all that was comfortable, to go to a land that God would show him. To leave Ur behind and go into Canaan. That's what obedience looked like for Terah. Leave Ur, go to Canaan. That's the clear calling. Go where I've called you to go, God says. So Obedience for Terah, Looked like leaving everything behind, going into the land of Canaan to possess it. Now, Terah had every advantage that you could imagine to fulfill his calling. Terah had a great heritage. He he was a descendant of great men of God like Noah, a righteous man, a man who walked with God, a man who built the ark through whom God saved a, a remnant of humanity. He he was a descendant of a man named Shem. Shem in Hebrew means name, and Shem was the name that God would bless in Genesis chapter nine and chapter 10, and then once more in chapter 11. He had a great family tree, a great heritage, a great past. He also had a great future. He had a bright future. He, He was a recipient of the promises of God. God was intent to bless the family of Shem, and the family of terah and the family of abram he was a recipient of the bright promises of god that meant he had a bright future he had a wonderful family I mean, it's not bad to have abraham as your son how are your children doing i don't care if your son or daughters on the honor roll or not they're not abraham i mean he's got a great wonderful family and He had a clear call, leave Ur, go to Canaan. There's there's no wondering like we sometimes do, what's God's will for my life? What is God calling me to do? He couldn't give an excuse. You know, God, your calling wasn't clear in my life. He had a clear understanding of God's will for his life, but something happened on the way to obedience. Look once more at verses 31 and 32. They set out together from Ur to go to the land of Canaan, but when they came to Haran... They settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Now let me give you the kind of brilliant exegetical insight that you have to go to seminary for. (laughs) Haran is not Canaan. All right, isn't that brilliant? You can discover that by looking at the book of maps, okay, at the very end of your Bible. Haran is not Canaan. Haran is halfway from Ur to Canaan. Now, I know that uh, biblical geography is all of our favorite subjects, but I just want to give a refresher for myself as much as anybody else. So, I've, we've got a map. I want to, there it is. Look at that uh, on the screen. I want to show you this map to where you can get a visual of what's going on here. You'll see Ur down at the bottom right. You see, labeled number one there on the red line? That's Ur, down in the land of Sumer. That is where. Uh, Terah is from. That's where his whole family is from. And God has called them to leave Ur and go over to Canaan. Now, Canaan is due west, okay? You look just across west, you go over to Canaan there on the, the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Now, the direct route would be to go from point A to point B, right? Just to go straight west from Ur to Canaan, and yet, that's not what they do. And the reason that they don't do that is because of that little thing in the middle called the Arabian Desert. Now, if you've ever seen those old Looney Tunes cartoons with the tumbleweeds and the so forth, I, I pastored out in West Texas for 10 years. That's what it looks like. That's what the Arabian Desert looks like. It, it is treacherous land. So it's the fastest route to get from Ur to Canaan, but it's not the easiest route. Now, if you want to travel with your whole clan, you want to take your kids and your grandkids and the whole family and all of your possessions, and you want to leave Ur and you want to get to Canaan, and the way you would do it is to follow a water source. And so what, that's exactly what they did. They followed the Euphrates River northwest. you see that? They followed, stayed close to a water source. That'd be important. And they get up to number two there at the top, Haran. And the plan is to go to Haran and then to come back down by a different water source, To the land of Canaan. Now, from Ur to Haran is approximately 600 miles. Okay? From Haran to Shechem, which is in the northern part of Canaan, you see it listed there. Northern Canaan, that's about 550 miles. So, catch that. Terah comes about halfway. And then he stops and he stays, and he settles, and he dies. Verse 31 says, they settled there. You see that in verse 31? They settled there. Now, that phrase, they settled there, is an echo from the beginning of chapter 11. If you look in your Bibles, in chapter 11, the beginning of the chapter begins with the story of the Tower of Babel. And this very phrase in verse 2 is used there. Verse 2 says, as people migrated eastward, they found a valley in the land of Shinar. And if you have it in your text there, just read it out loud with me. And they settled there. Okay, so... The author is using this language intentionally. He's trying to get you to remember Babel. He's saying in the same way that the people at Babel gathered into one place and settled there, that's what's happening with the family of Terah. Now the reason that that's a problem is because if you go all the way back to the first chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter one, the creation mandate. When God creates Adam and Eve, he blesses them and he calls them to be fruitful and multiply. And you remember what what he says? fill the earth. God says to Adam and Eve, I am so glorious. I want my glory to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply, and I want you to go to the four corners of the earth to represent my rule and reign. Well, they didn't do that. They began, but then you come to chapter 11. And instead of scattering to the four corners of the earth to bring the glory of God to the nations, they gather together and they settle in the land of Shinar, and they begin to build a tower for their own glory. Instead of living for God's glory, they build for their glory. By the way, the same thing happens in the New Testament, in the early church. You remember Acts chapter 1 and verse 8? Jesus calls the church to be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world, right? That's what they're called to do, to spread the glory of God to the ends of the earth. And you come to Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 and you find out that the early church has not moved beyond Jerusalem. Instead of scattering to fill the earth with God's glory, they gather in one place in Jerusalem. And so what does Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 say? God allows a persecution to come upon the church and instead of gathering, now they scatter. So. Here in Genesis chapter 11, that's what's happening in the story of Babel, and the author is using the language very specifically to say that in in the same way that that, uh, the people were called to go, not to stay, Tarah has been called to go to Canaan. He's not been called to stop at all of the comfy corners of the earth. In some way, he's being like the people of Babel. In some way, he's not being obedient here. God's called him to go to Canaan, and instead he gets to Haran and he stops. And he stays, by the way, apparently for years. Some have suggested that he stayed between 25 and 60 years in Haran. And then he died there without ever having fulfilled his calling. You know what the name Terah means in Hebrew? It means delay. And that's exactly what he is doing. Now, the text doesn't tell us why he stops. We just know that something interrupted his obedience. Maybe Tara was just simply exhausted. I mean, traveling 600 miles is no small feat. Can you imagine doing it on a camel? Driving 600 miles is difficult. How, can you, how many of you have ever uh, driven 600 miles? Just raise your hand. If you've driven 600 miles, that would get you about to Amarillo, okay, where I used to pastor. How many of you have ever driven 600 miles with children in the car? Don't you just pray for an eject button? And it doesn't even matter who you're ejecting. You can eject the kids or you can eject me. It doesn't really matter after 600 miles. Now imagine being Torah and you're taking your children and your grandchildren and you're loading all your things up and you're traveling by camel. Can you imagine the number of times Torah would have been asked, are we there yet? And Terah would just have to answer, you know, camels can only go so fast. Here they've gone 600 miles, imagine that journey, no eject button on a camel. And you get to Haran and you stop and you say, hey, <clears throat> how close are we to Canaan? Stop at the little 7-Eleven there in Haran and the guy says, whoa, you're halfway there. And maybe Tarah just says, well, that's it, I'm done. Throws in the towel, maybe it's just sheer exhaustion. And he just says, you know what, I'm too tired, I've gone a long way, I'm too old for this. We can understand that, right? I mean, I can't understand being too old, but Brother Charles can understand it. (laughs) But we can all understand being exhausted. It's not easy to serve the Lord, is it? It's exhausting at times. Sometimes we get worn out and get tired. I shared this with our folks at Moberly, you know, I feel like, Brother Charles, I'm curious what you would say about this, but all my pastor friends say the same thing, that after COVID, it's been harder and harder to get people to re-engage and get them specifically to serve. And I think one of the reasons is, is because everybody was running around serving, and we were more exhausted than we even knew we were. And then this thing called COVID came, and it forced us to just stop everything, and then that exhaustion just kind of hit us like a wall. Like, man, we were tired and had no idea. And then you feel the weight of that exhaustion. And then you kind of realize that's kind of nice to not have to serve. Kind of nice. This thing does move, doesn't it, Brother Malcolm? This is... It's like a, yeah, it's like a big ship of state. It can just sail along here. Uh, where, what was I talking about? It's nice right? Isn't it? It's kind, it was kind of nice to take a break from getting up at 7 a.m. and going and serving those kids in the nursery. I and mean, we can be honest about that. It was kind of nice to have a little bit of a break. But it's been real hard to get people to re-engage. And I think one of the reasons is because they're just tired. So it might have been exhaustion. Maybe it was distraction. Maybe Torah became comfortable in Haran. Haran was an important city in that region. It's been excavated. You can find out about this if you use Google. It's located at the intersection of trade routes. It was an important city. It was on a river. So the ground was fertile. It was good for crops. It was an economic center. It was a religious center. They've uh, discovered ruins of a major temple uh, to the moon god. And so you'd have all of these people who would Uh, take a pilgrimage to get to Haran, and so you've got all of these people coming in. You've got an economic boom town. I mean, if you want to make your mark in the world, this would be like the New York City of that day. This would be the kind of place that would be nice to settle down and raise a family. The comfortable beds and the delicious food at the castle of Harfang look really great when you're hungry and tired. And you've taken a 600-mile journey on camels, and you get to a place like Haran. Maybe it was just a simple matter of being distracted. Maybe Terah never intended to stay that long. Maybe he never intended on dying in Haran. Maybe he just decided to take a temporary break. We've been on this long journey. We're halfway here. Let's just go ahead and settle here for a little while. And maybe he intended, one day I'll get back to it. One day I'll pick up my family and get the camels and we'll go finished that journey down to Canaan, and maybe he just began to forget what God called him to do. Maybe he just forgot God's calling over time. Maybe his intention to stay for a temporary rest, a temporary recoup, a temporary delay, but then the longer he stayed, the less urgent God's calling on his life seemed to be. And maybe temporary neglect of God's call turned into permanent inattention to God's call temporary delay turned into permanent disobedience could have been exhaustion it could have been distraction it could have been inattention it might have been pure and simple rebellion you know the bible is full of stories of people who simply run from the call of God one of the reasons for that is to obey God is not easy amen can I get a witness to that it doesn't matter what the modern church tells you, that if you follow Jesus, you'll live your best life now, and your bank account will be full, and you'll, you won't have cancer, and, and your children will behave, and your poodle will obey you, and your life will be rosy. Listen, there's a Greek word for that. The word is baloney. <laughs> the Bible never says that. The Bible says the opposite of that. The Bible says it's, it's difficult to follow Jesus. Obedience is hard. It's often daunting and dangerous and risky. God sometimes calls us to a season of hard obedience. Whoever said the safest possible place to be is in the center of God's will has no idea what they're talking about. To be in the center of God's will is not the safest place you can be. It is the best place you can be. But it might be the most dangerous place you can be. Because God sometimes calls us to do things that are not easy. So it may have been that Terah is looking down. He's, you know, what awaits them in Canaan, right? The story of Abraham and the patriarch. What are they going to do when they get to Canaan? They're going to face hostile tribes. They're going to have to drive these wicked tribes out of the land. Maybe Terah is just looking at that, and he sees very clearly what God is calling him to do, and he just wants no part in it. It's like Jonah. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Well, no Jew in his right mind would ever want to go to to Nineveh. It's a historic enemy of God's people. Jonah chapter 1, the language is very clear. God calls Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh in the northeast. And so he gets up and flees to Tarshish in the southwest. The exact opposite direction. He wants no part of that. My wife Amy and I were called a number of years ago to a difficult season of ministry. It's fun when you get called to a wonderful church like Moberly. We're having a great time. But God called us to a church that was not easy. But we knew he was calling us there. We were in a very comfortable situation where we were. We had a wonderful team of staff. Our church was growing. Everything was comfortable. And God began to call me to go to a church that I knew was divided and dysfunctional. And I thought, that church is going to split. No matter who goes. And I didn't want to go. I looked under the hood of that church. It terrified me. I closed it quickly. I said, no, thank you. And I pulled my name out of that process. I couldn't, I couldn't. Why would I leave something comfortable and go to something like that? A few weeks later, that search committee called me back, and they said, we have become convinced that God is calling you here. Will you pray about this again? So my wife and I took several weeks, and we began to pray about that again. We became convinced that even though it was difficult, God was calling us to it. And that if we ignored it, we would be disobedient to God's call in our life. And so we went. And you know what? It was as hard as I thought it would be. In fact, it was harder. The church did split on my one-year anniversary. How's that for a start? We're not recording this, right? Are we recording? (laughs) I better just end that story right there. But do you realize God doesn't always call us to what's easy? sometimes God calls us to a hard season of obedience. And it may be that Terah was just looking down the barrel of what was waiting for him and said, no, Lord. And you know that's a contradiction in terms, right? You can't say no, Lord. If he's Lord, you've got to say yes. We don't know why Terah stopped. It might have been exhaustion. It might have been distraction. It might have been inattention. It might have been rebellion. We don't know why he stopped. We just know that he did. He set out for a destination but he settled for a distraction and he never fulfilled his calling. The text tells us he was 205 years old and he died there. Never having gotten around to doing what God had called him to do. You know being called is one thing. Fulfilling your calling is something else. Yusef Emmanuel put it this way, he said, Satan isn't nervous that God has called you. He gets nervous when you begin to fulfill your calling. Satan doesn't care that God's put a call on your life, as long as you just don't get around to doing it. Satan gets nervous when God's people start to obey God's word and start to look more like God's son in the midst of God's world. How many of us have started towards obedience? But something happens along the way. There's, Let me be quick to say here, there's still grace in this story. Even in the midst of Terah's failure, even though he didn't fulfill his calling, we can see God's fingerprints of grace in this story. God was gracious to extend this call to Terah's son, Abraham. That's what happens in the next chapter. The call moves from father to son, There's a grace of of a second chance here and God often works this way. I was talking to someone about this passage and he said, you know what? God called my dad to ministry and he ran from the call but then he called me to ministry and God sometimes works that way passing it on generation to generation but think about what Terah missed out on. I mean, God was gracious to allow Abraham to receive this blessing but Terah missed the blessing. What would it have looked like if Terah had been the one to fulfill his calling and lead his family as a patriarch into the land of Canaan. Think about how much he missed out on because of simple disobedience. I wonder how much of God we miss out on because of our disobedience. I don't want to miss out on what God has for me. I don't want you to miss out on God. I don't want, listen, sometimes God is waiting for you in the fulfillment of your calling. Some some of you want a greater experience with God in 2024. Obey him. Go to those uncomfortable places that he's calling you to go, fulfill your calling, and you might have an experience with God. He might take you to the depths in a way that you've never gone before, but you'll miss it if you neglect your calling. We also see that God was gracious because he gave, he gave Terah many years in Haran, in which at any point he could have become obedient. Scholars say 25 to 60 years that he was in Haran, that's a long time to get back to what God called you to do. That's a long time to become obedient and fulfill your calling. After five years, Torah could have said, all right, we've been distracted, all right, we've stopped, we've stayed long enough, but kids, let's pack up, let's get on the camels, it's time to get back to what God has called us to do. He could have done it at year five, he could have done it at year 10, he could have done it at year 20, but sooner or later, that window of opportunity closed, and he was 205 years old, and he died in Haran. But there's good news there, because that means that if you're still here, there's still time. If you're still breathing and your heart is still beating then there is time to fulfill the calling that God has on your life. If you're still here today there's still time to obey. Amen. Some of you say you know I've wasted some time. I've delayed. Maybe maybe I've just been exhausted or maybe you say, "Pastor, I've been distracted." Or maybe I just took a break and I didn't think it would be this long and now it's been five years. And maybe you'd say, Pastor, if you were really honest, you know, I have not been the Christian I've been called to be. And it's been a long time since I've really followed the Lord like he's called me to follow him. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, I have not been the husband that God has called me to be in the home. I've not been a father to my kids that God has called me. We've not been in the scriptures like we've been called to be. We've been distracted. We've been inattentive to God's calling on our life. Listen, the best thing you could do today would be to drive a stake in the ground and get back to what God has called you to do. If you're still here, there's still time. You may have wasted many years. You may have wasted 20 or 30 or 40 years not serving the Lord. And what I'll tell you is this. The best time to start serving the Lord was 20 years ago. But the second best time is right now. I can tell you there's no greater joy as a pastor than when somebody will come up to me and say, Pastor, you know, I've really been off course and I've not, I've not led in the home like I need to but my kids haven't been in church but I'm, I'm repenting, I'm changing, I'm driving a stake in the ground and starting today things are gonna be different. That brings great joy to this pastor's heart. When someone says, I'm making a change beginning today, would that be you in 2024 to say, even if I've wasted time, listen, maybe God would be gracious to you and allow Joel chapter 2 to be true in your life, that he would restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And maybe you'd be honest enough to to say, I've wasted some time, I've wasted some years, but no longer. I'm going to pick up my calling, I'm going to complete what God has called me to do starting right now. So let me ask you, what has God called you to do? Whatever it is, don't stay in Haran. If this can happen to Terah, who had all the advantages of obedience, it can happen to you. If God calls you to something, do it without delay. Look to the example of Scripture. Look to people like Joseph, who who did what he knew was right even when it meant he would be done wrong. Look to people like Moses who obeyed even when he felt inadequate to the task. Look to people like Daniel who obeyed even though he knew there would be severe consequences. Look to people like Isaiah who was sent to do a difficult task and serve a stubborn people and yet the Bible tells us he set his face like flint and bravely fulfilled his calling. Look to people like Jesus who looking ahead to the cross in the garden of Gethsemane said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And yet, what? Not what I will, but your will be done. What's keeping you from obedience? Might I suggest to you tonight that whatever it is that's keeping you from obeying God might be your true God. You say, serving God is going to cost me something. Well, it might be that security is your God. You you say, serving God is going to make me uncomfortable. Well, it might be that comfort is your God. I don't know what it is for you, but whatever it is that keeps you from serving God is your God. Are you fearful to obey? Consider... Your advantages. Like Torah, you have every advantage at your fingertips to obey the calling of God on your life. You, you have Christ who goes before you. He has paved the way as our righteous older brother, Hebrews chapter 12, tells us he has endured the cross so that we can endure the race. We have Christ in front of us. Are you fearful to obey? You also have The Holy Spirit of God inside of us, the the Spirit of God, God's presence and power in your life to give you the power to do what God calls you to do. A lot of people don't want to obey God because they don't think they can do it. (laughs) They don't think they have the ability. Listen, folks, I don't want to just be obedient up to the point of my ability. God often calls people to go beyond what they can do. Folks, that's when God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And may may we live as the church of Jesus Christ in that space where we say, you know what? If God doesn't show up, it's not going to work. That's where I want to be in my life and my ministry. I don't want what I can do. I can do some things. I've got some natural gifts, some natural abilities, but I don't want on the day of judgment to say, look what Andrew did and his ability. I want something to happen in my life, something to happen in my ministry where someone says, Andrew never could have done that. That had to have been God. And folks, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you to empower you to do what you cannot do in your own strength. And by the way, you're not left alone to do it. You have Christ who goes before you. You have the Spirit of God who lives in you. You have the church of God surrounding you. A family of brothers and sisters, a wonderful church family here at Woodland Hills Baptist Church in Longview, Texas, to walk with you as you walk towards Jesus. So what has God called you to do? Has he called you to follow? Has he called you to make that decision to put your faith and trust in Christ? Don't delay your obedience. Don't stay in Haran. Has he called you to go public with your faith, follow the Lord and believers baptism? Don't delay your obedience. Has he called you to being a member of this church family and you've just been dating the church? It's time to put a ring on it. Don't stay in Haran. Has he called some of you, and I know he's called some of you, to serve him in full-time ministry as a pastor or a missionary or a counselor or a minister of some kind? Don't delay your obedience. Has God called you to step out and serve him in some way, maybe instead of receiving Ministry, to give ministry instead of sitting and soaking to stand and serve? Has he called you to take a mission trip? Has he called you to share the gospel with a friend or a neighbor? Has he called you to contribute to his work financially instead of being just a consumer, to actually be a contributor in tithes and offerings? Don't delay your obedience. Has he called you to turn from a sin that you've been secretly, quietly indulging, hoping that no one would find out, but you know the Lord's been working on you about that, to turn from that? It has God called you to do? Don't stay in Haran. Is there some other matter of obedience that God's calling you to prioritize? He's been trying to get your attention. He's been tapping on your shoulder. He's been saying, been saying listen, you have been parked out in Haran too long. It is time to get busy with my work. Don't delay your obedience. Don't stay in Haran. We teach our kids, delayed obedience is disobedience. James chapter 4 and verse 17 says The man who knows what is right And does not do it It is sin So tonight on this First Sunday night Of the new year I want to I call us to a time of invitation I want to ask you this evening What is it that God has called you to do? Would you consider it? Would you submit to it? Would you yield? Would you yield your life to God's calling? Would you fulfill your calling? We're gonna have a time in just a moment of just an open altar for you to do business with God. And if God has tapped your shoulder about something, he's called you to leave Haran, I wanna invite you tonight to drive a stake in the ground and say tonight is gonna be the night where I obey God you bow with me? I want you to consider two questions. Would you just take a moment in the, the quietness of this place? I want you to ask the Lord two questions, and I want you just to sit with him for a moment. I want you to ask the Lord, say, Jesus? Is there anything you want to say to me? And then I want you to ask, Jesus, is there anything you want me to do? Is there anything you want to say to me? Is there anything you want me to do? And you sit with that in a moment. We're going to stand and sing. Some of you may just need to come and kneel. In confession before the Lord, some of you may need to come and pray with a pastor or a minister. But I'm going to ask you: don't leave tonight the same way you walked in. Don't stay in Haran. Where?